The text for the sermon this morning is Matthew 26, the first five verses of that chapter. Matthew 26, 1 to 5. We'll read those verses again. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So far, the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, today is Palm Sunday then the first day of the week in which we remember our Savior's suffering, crucifixion, and death, his death on Good Friday. At the time of our text, it is Wednesday of that week, the Wednesday of that week. And that was the week in which the Jews celebrated the Passover feast. They began that eight-day celebration, the day of unleavened bread, the day when they remembered how they had been liberated from Egypt or the, the week, the eight days they had been, that they remembered that liberation from Egypt. The Thursday of that week, 14th day of the month, Nisan, they had the Passover meal, ate the unleavened bread and the lamb And then on the Friday, the 15th day of Nisan, the actual celebration of the the Passover took place and then it lasted for those eight days. Well, that sequence of events and that time scheme meant that the Sanhedrin had a big problem to deal with. They wanted to get rid of Jesus And they had the authority to do that. They could judge people and condemn them to death by stoning. They had the right to do that. As prescribed in the Old Testament and the rabbinical traditions. The problem was they were not allowed to do that during the feast, the Passover. The Old Testament law forbade them to hold court or put people to death during the days of the Passover feast. There would be no court cases, no executions during the period of the Passover feast. There always had to be one night, too, between a judgment, a court case, and the execution of the sentence. There always had to be a night in between that. So the Sanhedrin had a problem. If Jesus had been sentenced on Wednesday, they could have stoned him to death on Thursday. That that could have happened. And that's why they were so busy trying to find something they could arrest him for on those previous days. Then they could have him sentenced on the Wednesday, execute him on the Thursday, and then the feast could go on. But at the time of our text, it was late Wednesday evening. 
And the leaders were in a panic because they had not been able to arrest and sentence Jesus as of yet. Jesus had to die. But now when? And that brings us to our theme for the sermon this morning. Jesus had to die. We see three things. The leaders said not during the feast. Two, Jesus said during the feast. And thirdly, why Jesus had to die during the feast. First of all, the leaders said Jesus had to die, but not during the feast. So on Wednesday evening, there was an emergency meeting of the Sanhedrin, the the chief priests, scribes, and elders of the people. They were not in their official place of meeting. They were in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. It was a kind of an emergency informal meeting. What would they do now? They could sentence Jesus on the Thursday, but they would not be able to put him to death on the Friday. So then they would officially have to wait until the eight days of the Passover feast were over, and that would be a trouble. It would give all the people time to get upset about what was happening here. And they could arrest Jesus. They could leave things as they were, let Jesus go. But then Jesus might have left Jerusalem again after those eight days, and who knows where he would be then. And who knows how many more supporters he would have then. There were a lot of people who already looked up to him. So what now? Maybe they could take Jesus by trickery and have him put to death in a way that would be unnoticed by the people around him. Right at the end of the feast when a lot of people would be preparing to go to their own homes again. and Everybody would be busy with their own things. But they couldn't do it during the feast because that would upset the people in Jerusalem at that time to no end. There would be huge protests in the streets. Think congregation of the protests that took long place not long ago in Ferguson, Missouri after you know a white policeman shot a black man, an unarmed young black man. All kinds of protests. And so, no, the Sanhedrin didn't want anything like that. They wanted to arrest Jesus, but with deception and not during the actual feast because they... They didn't want big protests in the streets in Jerusalem. And that would set the people against them, and they didn't want that. Now, if you think about what those those people were doing, those leaders of the people were doing, you know, you can just shake your head at the, the whole wicked process here. They wanted to get rid of Jesus by hook and by crook. They disagreed with his teaching and he was attracting more people than they were and they were very upset about that because they strictly held to their laws and regulations and that also meant no putting to death on the feast day. Later on, they wouldn't set foot in Pilate's palace because they would make themselves unclean for the feast if they set foot in the house of a Gentile. So when Jesus was, was being tried by Pilate, they, they, they wouldn't set a foot in, in his house because otherwise they couldn't celebrate the Passover either. But in the meantime, even though they were so fussy about their own rules, they were willing to stretch 
justice as far as possible in order to get that rabbi, get rid of that rabbi Jesus. They had to get rid of him and still look good before the people while doing it. And you realize they were so worried about how they looked in the eyes of the people, but they didn't worry about how they looked in the eyes of God anymore. That's how far their whole thinking had gone. And isn't it a a lot worse to have God against you than to have people against you? Maintaining their own position and comfort was more important to them and ridding themselves of Jesus was no big deal for them then. They could do that, all right. Congregation, isn't that the way it has happened throughout history? When it comes to having to choose, we're more inclined to worry about how we look before others than how we look before God. Inclined to want to maintain our own comfort and position among people, even even at the cost of our relationship with Jesus. Luther once said that in Christ's sufferings, we see our own depravity. You see Christ's love, but you also see your own wickedness. For let's be honest, that's the way we're all inclined to be, aren't we? I want to look good as a Christian. I don't want to be in favor, with a, in disfavor with the people around me. I don't like to lose my comfort and my position among people. And then my reputation and my comfort so easily become more important than my relationship with God in Christ. I worry more about what other people will think of me than what the Lord thinks of me. Brothers and sisters, do we really know ourselves? I'm afraid we're so inclined to be more concerned about our position among others and about people's, other people's opinion of us than about who Jesus is for us. That's how we're inclined to be. Busier with how we look before others than our place with God in Christ. So of ourselves, we're no different than those leaders of the Jews and their scheming. Do we see ourselves in their calculations and deliberations about people and about Jesus? This is exactly why Jesus had to suffer and die for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, also the sins of of putting ourselves before him. Because that's what we do every time we fall into sins. Put ourselves before the Lord. Rebel against him. And that's what he says too. As we see in our next point, Jesus said he would die during the feast. You realize, congregation, that there's an immense tension between what the leaders of the Jews say in verse 5. Hey, not during the feast lest there be an uproar among the people. And verse 2, what the Lord Jesus says in verse 2, after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. There's a big tension between the verses 5 and 2. 
Jesus says to his disciples, after two days on the Friday, the actual day of the Passover, I'll be, the first day of the Passover, I'll be delivered up to be crucified. But the Sanhedrin, who wanted to arrest and kill him, said, let's put him to death by stoning, but not during the feast. After all, the Sanhedrin wasn't allowed to crucify anybody either. They could just stone people. The Romans, they, they would crucify people sentenced to death. Think about that. Jesus said, in two days, on the days of the Passover, the Sanhedrin said, not during the feast. Jesus said, delivered up to be crucified. The Sanhedrin was thinking, trickery and Stoning, not crucifixion. So what Jesus foretold didn't look like it could come to fulfillment at all. What he foretold in verse 2 didn't look like it would come to fulfillment at all because the Sanhedrin had decided differently. And if you think about it, you also realize why Jesus' anointing at the house of Simon, the leper in Bethany, is related after that. Because that anointing might have taken place before our text already. But Matthew puts it here after our text. And he places it there because that anointing and Jesus' reaction to it was the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas. He didn't want that kind of Jesus. One who was who had predicted his death. He finally rejected Jesus completely and went to the Sanhedrin and he told them he would deliver Jesus up to them. He was with Jesus long enough to know who and what Jesus would be doing and where with whom he would be and so so on. Judas could give the Sanhedrin the tip they needed so they could arrest him and whisk him away quickly and quietly. So Judas' willingness to bring them to Jesus was an unexpected bonus. Bonus, an opportunity for the Sanhedrin. So they adjusted their plans. Instead of waiting after the feast now, they could go into action at this time. And since they were not allowed to condemn and put him to death during the feast, there wasn't enough time for that before the feast, they would need to involve the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. They could get him to condemn Jesus and put him to death. They would need only a religious accusation against Jesus, but then they could find a political one too, an accusation of inciting rebellion against Rome or so. And they would turn the people against him and not against them. And then Jesus could be sentenced by Pilate and crucified by the Roman authorities before you know it. So you see, congregation, and then he could die during the feast. They could put him to death during the feast. But then indirectly, it would be Pilate who would be doing it. Not them themselves. So you see, congregation, that's how Jesus was put to death on the day of Passover, during the Passover feast. And that's also how he ended up being crucified. Just as he said it would happen. That's how it happened. 
It's amazing if you think about it. The Sanhedrin was determined not to put him to death during the feast, to execute him by stoning. But what Jesus had predicted, verse 2, happened instead. It all took place according to God's plan via Judas's betrayal and the self-interest and strategy of the Sanhedrin. God's purpose is achieved to have his son crucified during the feast. God's purpose is achieved. Now, that's how it all began too, right? It was prophesied in the Old Testament already that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But it didn't seem that that was going to happen at all. Joseph and Mary lived a long way from there. Nazareth. How could the Christ be born in Bethlehem as Micah had, the prophet had prophesied? Well, via that census ordered by the ruthless Roman Caesar Augustus, Joseph and Mary ended up in Bethlehem anyway. And God's plan to have the Savior born there, his son born there, was fulfilled. And that line runs all the way through the life and suffering of the Lord Jesus. All God's promises and prophecies concerning Jesus' suffering and death were perfectly fulfilled. During the Passover by crucifixion, by hanging on a tree as sign of curse, that was fulfilled. God fulfills his whole counsel exactly as foretold. And in this case, foretold by the Lord Jesus himself. And congregation, that's how everything unfolds to the end of time. That's how our God is. Exactly according to God's plan and purpose and promise. Until everything is fulfilled until Jesus returns and has judged the living and the dead and reigns over all things with his own. And we might think, it doesn't look like that's going to happen at all. Everything might be pointing the opposite direction when when nobody expects it. That, too, will be fulfilled. Even if it doesn't look like it to us, and as if the devil has the upper hand in this world, everything will still unfold according to God's plan and sovereign purpose. It's no use resisting him, even though so many today, too, try to do that, try to ignore him and his word. But everything and everyone will be shown to have contributed to the fulfillment of God's plan for creation, for mankind, for salvation. Everyone will end up realizing that and glorifying God for his power willingly or also unwillingly at the end of time. No congregation, God's going to fulfill his plan as prophesied in his word and his promises and threats will come true. Jesus will bring his own into his glory, crown them with glory as he promised. I will bring my own to myself that they may be with me where I am and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's what will happen. That's what's going to happen then. Even though it might not seem that those promises can be fulfilled. Even if Satan does, who is so powerful, does, the, does all he can to prevent that. Even if it may seem he has pretty well destroyed the church of Christ and has all the control, 
God's plan will be fulfilled. What Christ said will happen. That's the way it was in our text. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it'll continue to be. All things must work together for the good of those who love him. And so in the middle of all the turmoil and of life and of this world and of our own lives, we, we can pray, Lord, fulfill your plan. Hold on to me like you promised. Keep me standing true to you. And then we can trust that God will do as he said he would, that he will fulfill his purpose for us, bring us home, into his glory, the glory of the new heavens and the new earth, where there'll be more, we'll be more at home there than we ever were here. It's been promised, and we can look forward to it with eager longing. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly so we can enjoy you fully without any struggle or suffering or temptation or pain anymore, like you said. So our text shows us that we can count on all God's promises in Christ coming to fulfillment. Everything Christ said to. Nothing and nobody can stop him from bringing everything to fulfillment. And that brings us to the last part of the sermon this morning. Why Jesus had to die during the feast. Why, congregation, was it so important for Jesus to die during the Passover? Why did God make sure that it happened that way? Well, it has everything to do with the meaning of that feast. It was the Passover. And if you say the word Passover, you also have to think of the Passover on the last night Israel was in Egypt and the Passover lamb. You remember God sent the angel of death through the whole land. And he was supposed to kill the firstborn in every house, be it Egyptian or Israelite. But a lamb could be killed in each house. And the blood of that lamb could be painted on the doorposts of the house. And wherever that angel of death saw blood on the doorposts of the house, he would pass over that house. And his judgment would not be carried out. And then the flesh of that lamb was supposed to be eaten by those in the house as nourishment for that exodus out of Egypt so they could move toward the promised land. And that's how Israel would escape the judgment of God and the slavery of the Pharaoh of Egypt. That's what the Passover was about. And later, as we read in Matthew 26, Jesus would hold up that bread of the Passover and he would say, this is my body. And he would hold out the wine and say, this is my blood. In other words, he pointed to himself as the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. He's the real, true Paschal lamb. Passover lamb. That's why the apostle Paul later writes to the Corinthians, Christ our Passover lamb was sacrificed for us. That's why Jesus had to die during the Passover feast. On the day of the Passover, the, the, the Passover feast itself, as the, the Passover feast began, 
because he's the fulfillment of that whole prophecy of the Old Testament, the Passover feast, the fulfillment of all the Passover lambs. His, his blood is our escape from God's judgment and from the slavery of the devil and of sin. And then we receive the nourishment we need for our journey to the promised land from his broken body and shed blood in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which we hope to celebrate next Sunday. He is the true Passover lamb, our Paschal lamb. And to assure us that he is that, he had to die during the feast. And he instituted the Lord's Supper at that time too. Very telling. If you see Jesus as a true Passover lamb, and then you understand our need for this Savior, we were trapped in slavery and in guilt, in our guilt. Trapped by the devil and sin, in bondage, like Israel was trapped in bondage in Egypt. Israel groaned under that slavery, which is more than we do sometimes, isn't it? I mean, think about it. They groaned under that slavery. The slavery of the devil and of sin, sometimes it just suits us fine. It's not good. We, we often don't experience it as slavery. We, we enjoy maybe even sins. And the devil gives us what we want, at least at first. At least at first, and then we often experience later on how sin wrecks things and doesn't give the promised pleasure at all. The thing is, though, the time is coming when God will send out his angels to judge the sins which have not been confessed and atoned for because judgment follows sins against him, our creator. But against that background, as the angels of judgment go out, against that background it is proclaimed to us in the gospel, there is a Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. And through his blood there is escape, there is deliverance. And in his body there is strength and perseverance, nourishment for perseverance. Do you see your need for this lamb, brothers and sisters? Boys and girls, do you see your need for this lamb? Your need to believe in him and your need also for his sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Brothers and sisters, the slavery of the devil and of sin will one day be shown to be a terrible servitude which only leads to everlasting horror. And the angel of destruction will certainly come Come in wherever there is sin that has not been atoned for. Wherever that blood has not been acknowledged. You can hide the guilt of sin so that it can't be seen on the outside. You can even cover it up so it looks harmless as happens nowadays. Even in our country. A lot of things that are, are sinful, according to scripture, are, are, are presented as harmless. But there will come a day when it has to all be dealt with, when justice has to be done before God's holy throne. 
And then it'll make all the difference for eternity whether you embrace that lamb and were nourished by him or not. Whether you believed that he is your Passover lamb, the lamb you needed or not. Congregation, wherever there is dependence on this Passover lamb, you realize judgment has then already passed and the chains of slavery have already been broken and there is life, life on the way to the promised land, life fed by the body of that lamb. In the Lord's Supper, he assures us every time again, I've given my body and blood for you. Otherwise, you would have suffered eternal death. And now I nourish and refresh your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life. Jesus, who suffered and died during the feast, as he said he would, is our Passover lamb. And this lamb is offered to you, to us. Whoever refuses this lamb has no protection, no deliverance. And that person remains in the guilt and slavery of sin for eternity, in death. But whoever accepts the lamb Jesus has his blood on the doorposts of his or her life. And that person is safe from all judgment because Jesus gave himself up as the lamb to fulfill all Passover lambs, willingly gave himself up as the lamb, led as a lamb to the slaughter, as Isaiah prophesied about him, as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Willingly. He's our only and complete salvation, put to death during the Passover feast. Not stoned to death either, but crucified, as he said would happen. Hung on a tree to take on himself the terrible curse which lay on us. Oh, that the Lord Jesus did that for you and me, congregation. To deliver us from that curse of eternal death which was coming over us. And to free us from the slavery of the devil and sin now. And to feed us how great his love took it all on himself for you and me. More willing to save us than we were willing to be saved. Willing to be our Passover lamb. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, that we could see from your word that in spite of all the schemes of men wanting to uphold themselves you fulfilled your plan and your purpose for salvation through your son fulfilled it perfectly let that give us all the confidence that in all the instability of of this life and in spite of the efforts of the evil one in his dominion you will bring everything you said would happen to fulfillment as promised in your word. And thank you 
that Jesus Christ was willing to be our Passover lamb, willing to let his holy blood be poured out so that we might be freed from the guilt and the slavery of sin, so that death, that eternal death might pass over us. Father, let that gospel give us the confidence to daily seek our forgiveness and help and life in Jesus Christ and him alone, our Passover lamb who gave his body and blood to free us and to feed us.